So I want to tell you guys how this all came about uh, with uh, Brett Middleton, who's going to preach for us this morning, and Olivet Baptist Church. Uh, a while back, uh, two years ago, uh, they began a, uh, they had a pastor who had been there for 22 years. The church had uh, really declined, was in rough um, shape. We had sent some missionaries from Northwest a number of years back um, that are still there and doing, doing great work there. But uh, the church had declined. Um, the two years ago, they had an interim pastor. His name was Kent Shirley. And about a year ago, maybe six to eight months ago, he gave me a call and he said, hey, the church is in rough shape. We're not sure if we can just hire a pastor. Um, uh, they really need something more. And uh, we began to pray about this process of what this looks like. Um, to do a replant, and if you don't know what that is, it basically is it's to plant something new, to make something new in a church. Uh, it's different than a revitalization because it is a new work completely. And uh, we didn't know if the church would want to do this. We didn't know how this would all work. But uh, five pastors began to meet, Portland Avenue, Henderson Hills, Cherokee Hills, um, Trinity, OKC, and uh, somebody else I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, we began to meet as, as five pastors and began to pray for this church and pray what God would do in replanting uh, Olivet Baptist Church. Olivet is down the street from us. It's, uh, it's uh, down that way towards Midtown. It is in a, a really... Uh, great place of the city. It, a lot is happening down there, a lot with young people, a lot that's, that's moving that way. And we began praying and the Lord orchestrated all of these things to come about to do a replant and also, also to have a great replanter. And he's going to come and preach to us this morning. He is a good friend of mine. Uh, he, last week he preached at Olivet and they welcomed him unanimously with a vote of 53 to zero to be the next replanter at Olivet Baptist Church. He's got a long uh, road ahead, a lot of work to do, but we are partnering with him and encouraging him in that. We will be sending teams over there to help uh, fix the facility up, to help evangelize their community and do th some things uh, to help get that church going in the right direction. But this is the man of God to do that. And we want to welcome him this morning, Mr. Brett Middleton. His wife, Sarah, is here today too. So welcome, Brett. Thanks, brother. I'll pray for you at the end, all right? So we'll do that at the end. Well, good morning. I'm Rob's short friend, Brett. And uh, I am honored to be with you to proclaim the truth of God from Ezekiel to the, you this morning. And um, it has been such a blessing to me for that, that you, and maybe not all of you even know this, but you've sent people to preach at Olivet Baptist. Uh, Rob has invested so much in me and in this, in that church and in this process. Um, and I am so grateful for your church, uh, for your pastor, and for um, the prayers and support of your people. So um, truly a blessing to me and my family. So if you would open your Bibles with me to Ezekiel 36, we're going to be in verses 33 through 36 this morning. Ezekiel's near the middle of your Bible. You can find those big books of Isaiah and Jeremiah. 
Ezekiel is right after those two, and the book of Lamentations is in there as well. But on the other side of those books is Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 33 through 36, says this. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And I will do it. You may be seated. Well, just two weeks ago, Rob did a beautiful job of preaching the book of Ezekiel. He helped us to see that the people of God, by acting according to their own desires, by rebelling against God, they defiled his holy name amongst the nations. They defiled the glory of God. But God is going, God has promised, God has said he will act for the sake of his name. God will be glorified in all the earth. So God makes this incredible promise to his people to give them new hearts, to put his spirit within them so that they might bring him glory. He's going to be in them and with them to do it. And Ezekiel speaks to a people Who've lost everything. The land that God had promised them, they've lost. The kingdom God has promised them, they've lost. The abundance God had promised them, they've lost. The peace God had promised them, they've lost. It's all been taken away. The Babylonians have come, and the captain of the bodyguard, Nebuzaradan, as 2 Kings 25, 9 through 11 describes it, he has burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. Everything has been burned, everything has been torn down, and nearly everyone has been taken away. Only some of the poorest in the land were left as vine dressers and plowmen. And it is to these broken and devastated people that God speaks. These people who had to wonder... In Babylon, they had to wonder, has God broken his promises that he made to us? They had to wonder, has God rejected us? Has he rejected us forever? Have we ruined all the blessings that we had? 
Have we lost the presence, the security, the wonder of God himself who was among us? Have we lost his presence forever? They have to be asking themselves, will we ever get to go home again? And it's to these people to whom Ezekiel speaks, and at times he speaks a stern word of judgment, but in our passage today he speaks to them a word of hope. And we'll examine our text in three parts. We see what the Lord has said in verses 33 through 34. What the nations will know in verse 35 to the beginning part of verse 36. And what the Lord will do at the end of verse 36. And in this text, God wants us to see. He wants us to know we can trust his good word. That he will make us new And he will make all things new. Look at me at verse 33. Thus says the Lord God. Now whenever we read thus says the Lord God. We need to remember. Okay this is different than when you or I say something. You know I say a lot of things. Sometimes I say things that I mean. But I don't actually follow through on them. I say, I'm, I say I'm gonna mow the yard, but then it rains or it's too hot or I find literally anything else to do and I do that instead. Sometimes I say things without thinking. My wife can attest to that, probably just within the last 24 hours. I'm sure I've said something without thinking. Sometimes I say things that I think are funny and they're not funny. Some, sometimes, sometimes, I say things I don't mean. Maybe I feel sad or I feel angry and I say something I don't actually believe about myself or I don't actually believe about someone else because I'm hurt. Sometimes I say things that aren't true. We all say a lot of things. And everybody says things that sometimes don't work out. Sometimes they aren't true. Sometimes we don't mean them. All of us do that. But brothers and sisters, we do well to remember that there is a different type of speech. Yes, we speak because we're made in the image of God. We speak like he speaks. But the way that we speak is not how the Lord speaks. When God speaks, things start to happen. When God speaks, he says what he means and he does what he says. When God speaks, light appears. When God speaks, he makes the heavens. When God says, let the dry land appear, all of a sudden there's dry land on the earth. When God speaks, he makes life. When God speaks, the heavens and the earth tremble. When God speaks, we see his holiness and we're confronted with our own unrighteousness so clearly and profoundly that, that, that like the people in Exodus 20, they cry out to Moses saying, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. When God speaks, the earth melts, Psalm 46 says. When God speaks, the wind and the waves obey his voice. When God speaks, Isaiah 55 tells us that it 
that his speech will not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which he purposes, and it shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it. When God speaks, the Almighty of heaven and earth reveals to us what he will do, and whatever he says will be done. Brothers and sisters, our God has spoken. He has spoken to us in his word. He is speaking to us now through it. And he spoke to his people through the prophet Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, Ezekiel tells us. And what did he say? What did he tell them? What has he told us here? God said... Verse 33, on that day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities. On that day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities. To a people who have rebelled, a people who have lost everything, a people who look around and think they have messed up their lives beyond repair, it's beyond restoring, it's beyond reclaiming what once was. To these people, God speaks and he says, there will be a day when you will start anew. All the wrong that you've done, all the idols you've worshipped, all of the times that you've looked to other kings and other gods and other nations for help instead of me. He says, I'm going to wash all of that away and you will be cleansed of your sin." The God who speaks and makes light and life. The God who speaks and the earth melts. He says a day is coming when he will make his people clean. If you're not a Christian, aren't you glad that you came today to hear this news about God? There is a God who keeps every promise and every word he's ever spoken. There there is a God who has never uttered a syllable or a word that did not come true. And this God says there's a day when he will cleanse all his people from their iniquities. For you who are not yet trusting in Christ, that day that was promised, that day can be today. You see, God made everything for his glory. He made man in his image and he made us to live in perfection and in righteousness. But we didn't choose perfection and righteousness. We didn't choose to follow his good instruction. Instead, Adam and Eve decided to follow their own desires. And ever since that moment that they sinned in the garden, we've all chosen to follow our own desires over the good instruction of the Lord. That's what happened in the garden, that's what happened in Israel, and that's what happens in your heart and my heart today. We sin, it's our nature. We do things that, are wrong, that we know are wrong because our desires lead us astray. And we deserve God's judgment because we've rebelled against him. But God has said that there is a day There is a day when he will cleanse you of all your iniquities and he has brought about that day through his son, Jesus the Christ. 
Jesus came. He perfectly followed God as we were supposed to. And yet Jesus died and he received God's judgment for sin. Even though he was innocent, he was sacrificed and our sins were charged to his account so that we would be cleansed. And he rose from the dead to show his power and authority over sin and death. And today... Today, if you will turn from your sins, if you will acknowledge your guilt before a holy God and repent and believe that Jesus died to cleanse you from your iniquities, then that day that is promised by the prophet Ezekiel is today for you. You're given a fresh start. You're given a clean record. You're given forgiveness. And not only are you forgiven, but as Jesus took your sins upon him on the cross, Jesus also now gives you something. He gives you his righteousness before God. And you're no longer identified by what you've done in the past or the mistakes you've made. But you're given his perfection and his righteousness. So if you're not a Christian, turn from your sins. Trust in Jesus. And today... You will be cleansed of all your iniquities. And for those who are already trusting in Christ, God said that there has been a day when you were cleansed from all your iniquities, and He's forgiven you in Christ if you're trusting in Him. Brothers and sisters, remember that day. When you're overwhelmed by your mistakes, remember that day. When you're ashamed of your past, remember that day. When you're ashamed of your present, remember that day. John in his gospel tells us, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christian, behold him. Behold the one who takes away your sins, whose sacrifice is enough for you. Pursue righteousness. Flee from sin because he has purchased you and he has forgiven you and he has given you a heart of flesh and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in you and help you obey. Remember that day when Jesus cleansed you from all of your sins and rejoice and follow him today. Verses 33 and 34 go on to say that not only has God said he will cleanse his people from their iniquities, he has also said that he will bring people back into these cities that were once empty and destroyed, that he will take the places that were once wastelands and rebuild them. He will take the land that was empty and useless and cause it to be tilled and fruitful once again. God speaks to a people who are devastated and they're not sure if his promises are true. He speaks to a people who have lost everything. He speaks to a people in a foreign land surrounded by foreign gods. And he says, I will cleanse you and I will restore you. So in your darkest times, look to the word of God. Look to what he has promised you And know that not a word comes out of his mouth that won't be fulfilled. And trust in him. Trust in his promise to make all things new. To make you new. Remember that he has said he will be with you. 
Remember that he has said he cleanses and restores you. He has said it and what he says he will do. Verses 35 through the first part of verse 36 tell us what the nations will know. God has spoken, but now the nations have something to say. And they will say that this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. In the year, uh, the year 1816 is known as the year without a summer. In June of that year, a foot of snow fell in Maine and New York in June. On the 4th of July in Savannah, Georgia, it was 46 degrees that summer. Ice-covered lakes and rivers meant that certain regions of the country couldn't get food that summer. Crops didn't grow. The cost of food skyrocketed. And all of this happened. All of this happened because in April of the year before, in April of 1815, Mount Tambora, a volcano in Indonesia, erupted. And death and famine and desolation were the immediate results. And eventually it came to even affect the United States. But over time, this catastrophic event, this disaster would bring about new life. Would bring about new development. That, that summer, the cost of food was so high that it was too expensive to feed horses. And so a German inventor created the, po- the prototype for the bicycle. That summer, the lack of food in the northeastern United States led to a migration to the Midwest and cultivation of new crops and this new abundance of food in the United States. Because of that eruption, the area that was most devastated around the volcano in Indonesia, that area was filled with sulfur and volcanic ash. That area couldn't receive sunlight because of the ash. The area was completely devoid of life. And eventually it became home to some of the richest soil in the world. And a dense rainforest grew there. Crops of coffee was planted there. And what was once desolate became even more fertile than before. Well, in Israel, it was through destruction and devastation that God brought fertility like that that was in the Garden of Eden. And there are a few layers to the events in this passage that, that, that it says these are the things that will come about. There are a few senses in which this text is fulfilled as we look back in time and kind of read it now. In one sense, what Ezekiel is saying comes about just 70 years or so later as God brings his people back into the land. God uses prophets like Haggai, Zechariah, Ezra, and Nehemiah to rebuild the temple and the wall around Jerusalem. In another sense, the iniquity that Ezekiel is talking about, that he's saying you're going to be cleansed of, the removal of that heart of stone, the replacement of a heart of flesh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned just a few verses earlier in Ezekiel 36, that's a description of what can only come through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the new covenant we enter into by his blood. And then there's another sense. In another sense, this restoration, this renewal to the glory and perfection that God created in the Garden of Eden, this restoration really can only come in its fullest extent through Christ's return. 
So which sense is it? Which one are we supposed to look to and understand that Ezekiel is talking about? Is it the fulfillment of this text and the rebuilding of the temple and the wall? Is it the fulfillment found in the coming of Christ? Is it the fulfillment found in the return of Christ at the second coming? Yes. It's all of them. This is a word that has meaning for God's people, Israel, in the past. It's a word that has meaning for what God has done in Christ for us today. And this is a word that has meaning for what God will do in Christ in the future. The land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, he says. The Garden of Eden where food was in abundance, where there was no sin or shame, where work was a delight, not by the sweat of your face, and the ground easily produced, where God dwelled and walked among his people, where God spoke to his people and gave them good instructions, and where God could call out in the garden to Adam and Eve and say, where are you? They heard him walking. This garden that Adam and Eve were removed from, this garden where sin and death were born, this garden is also the place where God promised that he would renew and restore in the first place. It's where he revealed this about himself, that he is a God who renews and restores. In Genesis 3.15, God said that a child would be born through Eve's Descendants, that a child would come who would crush the head of the serpent, who would come and defeat the deceiver, who would cleanse sinners, who would restore what had been lost. And this story of redemption, this story of cleansing, this story of restoration, it's all throughout our Bibles, isn't it? It's a story that repeats itself until it's finally and fully fulfilled in Christ. The people of the earth were wicked. So God sent a flood, but he spared Noah and his family, and he brought about renewal and restoration. Pharaoh was wicked, and God rescued his people from Pharaoh and brought them out of the land of Egypt, and God rescued them from the wilderness, he rescued them from their own wickedness as they grumbled and complained while he provided everything that they needed and brought them into a promise, the promised land, a land filled with milk and honey. God raised up judges to help bring his people back to himself over and over again in a time when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. God raised up King David to take the place of Saul whom he rejected. So that he might bring his people great victory and bring them into peace. It's a story that happens. That's just, the, that's just the beginning. It's a story that happens over and over again. But it seems as if, it seems as if when you read your Bibles, it's a restoration. It's a story that never really takes effect. The renewal, the restoration, it doesn't last for the Israelites. Until God sends Christ who is resurrected from the dead, who ascends to the right hand of God and is seated in glory with all things under his feet. And when he comes, when he returns for us, the story, this story that started in Genesis 3.15 will be complete. 
this restoration, this renewal will be complete. It's described in Revelation 22. It describes this new garden in which God will dwell with his people. There will be a river of the water of life, bright as crystal that flows from the throne of God himself and of the Lamb. It will flow through the middle of the street of that city. The tree of life will be there with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of this tree are going to bring healing to the nations. No longer will anything be accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and we will worship him. We will see his face, it says. The beauty and the glory of Eden is being restored, but it will be fully and finally restored when Christ returns. In our text, we see why, why does God do this? Why does God take what was desolate and ruined and make it like the Garden of Eden? Why does God act in this way? So that all will know He is Lord over all the earth. So the nations around Israel will look and see this sort of transformation, this sort of renewal, and see that it could only be divine. That that which was once barren is now fruitful. That which was once uninhabitable is now fortified and full of life. The Lord has rebuilt, they'll say. The Lord has replanted by his great might and for his glory. God has done only what God can do. He's reclaimed and restored so that all would know that he is God. So what's all this got to do with you and I in this room today? We we see, we learn from the Bible, we learn from this passage, we learn from the story of the Bible that God is glorified by taking what was once dead and broken and making it alive and beautiful. God is glorified when his redeeming love and redemptive work is displayed. And God is, By calling you, if you're a Christian, to faith in Jesus, he has displayed that work in you. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul says in Ephesians, but God has made us alive together in Christ. God is glorified in you when you bear those marks of redemption and restoration. God is glorified in you When you choose to rejoice with a friend about their new job instead of envying them. God is glorified in you when you speak a gentle word to your child when they disobey rather than being harsh and impatient. God is glorified in you when you honor and respect your boss even though they disrespect you. God is glorified in us when we no longer simply act by the desires that are natural to us, that we have those sinful instincts within us, but when we act as those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and made into new creations, those who've been conformed into the image of Christ. It's through the church, Ephesians 3 tells us, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
Not only is God going to show his glory and his grace and his might to our neighbors around us when we love one another and we care for one another, he's going to show it in the heavenlies. As we are made new together, as we are united as one in Christ, as we love one another, as we care for one another, as we serve each other in ways that are only possible through the restoring work of Jesus, God is glorified in us. So consider this, that you, Christian, you are a picture of God's mercy, a picture of God's grace to those around you. When you follow him, when you display the life that can only be in you by the blood of Jesus, all those who are around you, all those who see that life in you should know Jesus is Lord. The way you live, the way you treat your family, the way you work, the way you care for your coworkers, it's all meant to be an image of the redemption, the renewal, the restoration that God brings about for his glory. It's a way in which those who know you can also know the Lord is God. So may our lives, may this church be a representation of God's restoring love. Also, if God has all throughout history, if he's acted all throughout history to reclaim and restore for his glory, if he's been gracious, if he's been persistent with sinful and broken people like us throughout all history so that they might be made new and so that they might be, he might be glorified in them, if he's done that, well, that, sh- that should probably matter to us too. Shouldn't it be important to us to see people who are dead in their sins brought to life? Shouldn't it be important to us that peoples and nations around the world who don't have access to the gospel, shouldn't it matter to us that that they have a way to hear about this restoring love of Jesus? Shouldn't we care that churches that are in decline, that when they don't represent the renewal and the restoration that God provides, shouldn't it matter to us and shouldn't we do something about it? May God help us to long for his glory as he does, to prioritize talking to someone about Jesus over the comfort of remaining quiet. May he help us to prioritize giving away what he's provided for us rather than using it for our own interests only. May he help us to prioritize sacrificing our time for others above searching for new forms of entertainment. May our very lives be this picture of renewal and restoration that we have in Jesus so that the world would look and see that Jesus is Lord, that God may be glorified in all the earth. I remember... When I met my wife for the first time, uh, I was in college, and I remember just being drawn to her kind of immediately. I was interested in who she was. I wanted to know what she was like. I wanted to know what she liked to do, and I wanted to listen to her and understand her, and I still do. That's how we get to know someone. That's how we get to know one another. We, 
We seek one another out. We, are, we listen to each other. And that's how we know the Lord. We know the Lord by listening to him. Listening to how he has made himself known to us in his word. He's told us what he's like. He's told us what he will do and how he will act in his word. We can know him through this revelation of himself. At the end of verse 36, the Lord wants us to see. The Lord wants us to be able to predict his moves. The Lord wants us to know what he will do. He says in verse 36, I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. What is the Lord like? We know he's gracious and merciful to redeem and restore. And what will the Lord do? Well, he will do whatever he says. And he speaks to these devastated people. He speaks to them in a way that you and I can never speak. Because when he speaks, things start to happen. And when he says something, he will do it. And all that those people have to do is to look around and believe this is true. All they have to do is look around and see that God is a God of his word. Let me tell you what I mean. And you see, In Deuteronomy, God made a covenant with his people. He entered into this relationship with his people. And he said he was going to bless them and give them peace. And he said in Deuteronomy 28.1, he said, If you will do the things, if you'll do the things I've asked you to do in this book, you'll be blessed. And then he said later in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 58, he said, And if you're not careful to do the things that I have asked you to do in this book, well, then you'll be afflicted, you'll be sick, you'll be cursed. The people who God is speaking to through Ezekiel only have to look around and see they're not home anymore. See they're not well anymore. See they don't have peace anymore. All they have to do is look around and see God is a God of his word. He told them that they would be cursed if they rebelled. And they are now cursed. But you know what God said a few, chapter later, few chapters later in Deuteronomy? In Deuteronomy 30. In Deuteronomy 30 he said, And when these things come upon you, When the blessings come upon you, I'm going to bless you. When the curses come upon you, you are going to be cursed. They're going to come. And when they do, and when you call to mind among the nations that God has driven you out into, you remember this covenant that I made with you, and you call them to mind, and you return to me, and you once again decide to follow me, you decide to obey me, then I will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. I will gather you again from all the peoples where I have scattered you. I will make you more prosperous, more numerous than your fathers. You see, Ezekiel is not telling the people of God something they didn't know. He's not saying something new. No, God said his people would be blessed, and they were blessed. God said his people would be cursed, and they were cursed. And God said his people would be restored, and they most certainly will be restored. All they have to do is look around and know it's true. God reclaims and restores God receives great glory through the renewal and redemption of his people. 
He said all of this would come to pass. All of it came to pass. He is Yahweh. He has spoken and he will do it. So for you, would you take God at his word? Would you trust in what he said? Would you take him at his word that he will make you new and he will make all things new? And would that be your hope that causes you to endure, that causes you to obey, that causes you to turn to him and trust in his forgiveness? Because it's who God is. It's what he's like. It's what he will do. And because God so clearly is glorified through restoration, through renewal, well, that's why our family is committed to go and serve the people of Olivet Baptist Church, a church that's blessed this community, a church that's been blessed by God in the past, and it's a church that in recent years has declined. Because we believe God reclaims and restores, it's what he will do, it's how he receives glory, and we are praying that God will bring new life to this church, that God will bring renewal to the people there and the people in the community around it, and that he might be glorified through replanting this church as he replanted in desolate soil in the land of Israel to make it like the Garden of Eden. We're praying that as he replants Olivet Baptist, that the hearts of those people, the hearts of the people in the community would be fertile soil to receive his word and to grow up into Christ and experience the renewal that only God can produce for his name and for his glory. So we're looking forward to this work with confidence. It's a word to myself to trust in God's truth. And we ask for your prayers as we go. And I ask you to remember that when God speaks, it's not like when you and I speak. May we take him at his word to make all things new. He said he would cleanse and restore his people. The nations will know that it's a work of the Lord And he has said it, and he will do it. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your most trustworthy and certain word. We are grateful for your act of redemption and restoration and renewal in Christ that gives us new hearts. You put your spirit within us to help us obey. Father, I pray that That truth would help us to endure. That truth would help us to follow you. You would use that truth in our hearts to give us confidence and to produce righteousness in in us. And God, we pray that that truth that's coming for us, that there's a day when all things, all, all things will be rid of sin and death. God, we pray that that truth, the coming of Christ as we long for his return, Lord, that that would give us hope and that would give us strength to follow you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would like someone to pray for you, if you would like to talk with someone about Jesus and what he's done for you, there'll be pastors at the front. Love to pray for you. Love to speak with you this morning. Please come.
You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in the darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like our God. For greater things have yet to come, greater things are still to be done in this city. The creator of all things, you're the king above all kings, you are, you're the strength in the weakness, you're the love to the broken, you're the joy in the sadness, you are, Praise the Lord together. Amen. Let's give him a clap. You can be seated. We have a couple of uh, announcements. Uh, what a praise the Lord for you, Brett, preaching the word, no doubt. He's going to restore that church through the preaching of God's word and through his Holy Spirit. Man, what a, what a, what a message, and thank you for sharing that. I had him share that uh, message. I picked that passage for him to preach. <laughs> Uh, because I wanted you to believe that and I wanted our people to know that our God redeems and restores and uh, what a wonderful passage of scripture and thank you for exegeting that. We have a lot going on in the church right now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not gonna mention everything. Uh, Wednesday night, we're going to have a launch party on the lawn in the front. Come bring your friends, 6 p.m., uh, bounce houses, uh, food, games. Um, it'll, it'll be our summer launch into um, what we call NWC Loves OKC. Where we'll be all around the uh, city, and we want you to invite people and uh, talk to people about the gospel, the one who redeems and restores uh, it's amazing when you ask people questions, what they will tell you. 
the incredible race, our uh, Champs Camp is coming up. Uh, make sure you sign up and invite people to sign up for that. It is uh, filling up fast. Uh, also, uh, next week is our Salute to Troops, Celebrate Freedom service. It'll be a, a fantastic time. Uh, we will honor those who have served, so invite your friends and family to that as well. And um, it'll be a good uh, word from the Lord as well as we celebrate those who have served um, here. Uh, we have a Cross Timbers Kids Camp parent meeting in the House of Prayer right across the hall. Right after the service, you'll want to do that. Also, if you're new, I'd love to shake your hand right up front here. Uh, I'll be up here. I'd love to shake your hand and, and say hello. And if you have any questions about any of this stuff, one of our pastors will be over here answering questions after the service. So you can shake my hand, shake somebody else's hand, ask us questions. We'd love to do that with you. Um, at Right now, we're going to ask Brett and Sarah, if y'all come forward, we're going to lay hands on you guys and uh, pray for you. Um, what a What a passage of scripture that you shared with us. And we know the work ahead is going to be great. Uh, we know that uh, the Lord is with you, though, as you as you do this. I'm looking at you too, Sarah, as you guys go and do this work together. Um, I know from our church perspective, we definitely want to be praying for you. We're going to keep you in our prayers uh, as as you guys go. You guys can be praying for all of it, that the Lord will restore and replant, and he will build and restore as he does in our churches throughout our city. We have been through this kind of restoration process for a number of years now, and the Lord is rebuilding and revitalizing us, and we know exactly what that looks like, and we are praying for you, brother, as the Lord does this mighty work in and through you, brother. So let's let's pray for Brett. If you if you join me in prayer for him, if you want to hold your hands out towards them, we can do that together. Father, we we thank you for Brett and Sarah, and we thank you, Father, for their work in the gospel. Lord, we thank you for them taking on this challenge of this church that has been around for 119 years. We thank you for allowing them to be called by you to go to a place of the city that is in desperate need of the truth and the light of, of the word of God. We thank you for empowering this, this man to be able to preach the word as, as he has this morning accurately and boldly for your kingdom. We pray that the people around would hear of this church and the revitalization and the renewal that God is doing amongst his people and that they would know that the Lord is God, that he is the God of heavens and the earth, and he does as he wishes to reflect his good glory and his great name. And Father, as you work in our church here in Northwest, we pray that you would continue to do a mighty work here as we send people out for your gospel throughout our city and throughout our nation for your glory as we are a kingdom people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are sent. Have a great day, Northwest.